Why did a skeleton, bird, and a fish walk into a tavern? I don't know. Why? <laughs> to kill everyone. Oh. Guild Trip. That's Guild with a D. A fancy podcast. New episodes every other Thursday. The hero's journey you didn't want to go on, but then you were guilted into anyway. This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it's our pleasure to welcome you to episode 618 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. I am the internet's Joe Patrick and your head, number one. That lengthy delay was just to make sure you were paying attention, Matt. That's going to get edited out, so don't worry about that. Which makes me your head number two, and my name is Matt Baum. Today on the show, we're reviewing comics from the last two weeks, and then we're going to tell you all about what you should be a-reading next week. And finally, the comic pushers are back to give Falcon and the Winter Soldier fans the comic history of the new Captain America, John Walker. Uh, So slip into your most comfortable symbiote because it is review time in the ziggurat. This week's pile is from Wednesdays 4-7 and 4-14, and it features Teen Lantern Tantrums, Batman in Europe, Radioactive Dads, and this cat Spider-Man who turned out to be one bad mother. Shut your mouth. I'm just talking about Peter Parker. Then I can dig it. And I'll get it started this week with the silver coin number one from Image. Eisner winning artist Michael Walsh has teamed with a murderer's row of writing talent to create the silver coin, an anthology horror series centered around a monkey's paw style artifact. You guessed it, a silver coin that grants wishes in the worst way possible. <laughs> it's never good. I mean, like, no, it's never good. Never a time where, like, thank God that monkey's paw came along. You know, <laughs> right. you're never going to hear exactly. that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this issue focuses on a struggling rock band at the height of the disco era and a guitarist desperate for success. Uh, this issue's writer is Chip Zdarsky, and he manages to deliver a complete and satisfying story in a single issue with a group of compelling characters with complex motivations. Uh, He also drops hints about the coin that will obviously link future tales together. Uh, Like it was obvious to me that the dude's dad was like absolutely aware of what that coin was and what it represents. And he was freaked the fuck out by it. Walsh brings a creepy intensity to the art, and I'm excited to see what he brings to the other horror genres that the series promises. Next issue is like a uh, Friday the 13th teens at summer camp uh, slasher uh, story, which should be pretty fun. Right. Horror in comics can be difficult, especially if you only have a single issue to deliver your scares. Uh, I thought the silver coin number one was an impressive debut, and it did just that. I'm giving it a buy it. Yeah, anthologies can be tough because issue by issue, they're going to feel different and they're going to look different. And I mean, it's the same artist, which is good. That's a great idea. And I think that is where this anthology could win because it'll look the same every time with slightly different stories written by people. Yeah, it'll have it'll have a unifying uh, voice. Right. So to speak. Right. And I think it's interesting making it the artist and not a writer working with a bunch of different artists, which we've seen a lot. So this right. is sort of a reverse take on that. And I think it's clever. This first story was fun. 
Chip Zdarsky is a perfect guy to do something like this. We'll see if they can maintain this kind of fun with it. Like I said, anthology stuff, it can be very issue by issue. So we'll see. I mean, it's this a pretty one, impressive. It's an, a pretty impressive list of writers that are is. writing the future. It is. But when you just start throwing people in anthology stuff, sometimes you're taking them out of their wheelhouse and they're not doing something they normally do. Zdarsky, he nailed this. Good for him. I'm going to buy it as well. It was fun. We'll see from here. Anthology Matt has anthology. already written off issues two through five, so I'm sorry, Michael Walsh. I'm just saying, anthologies are tough, man. But Michael Walsh is a crazy, talented dude. Yeah, the art was great. Yeah. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice. First up for me, from last week, Geiger, number one from Image. It's written by Jeff Johns with art by Gary Frank. Geiger was originally supposed to come out as part of Johns's Killing Zone imprint. But plans change. Movie stars accuse you of being racist. And suddenly the Killing Zone has relocated to Image Comics. <laughs> the story follows Tariq, a husband and father trapped outside his elaborate bomb shelter with his family safe inside. Oh, by the way, there's a major nuclear disaster and we don't really know why it's happened yet. Years later, Tariq has become an atomic boogeyman whose bones glow through his skin. After the nuclear attack on the U.S., like I said, no explanation needed, but... We have it coming. Yeah, Come on. It's definitely coming. John's definitely peppers in some weird TV news reports in an opening flashback scene, but you can't really tell if any of them actually apply. So there's something going on there. Flash forward in the U.S. is an irradiated nightmare traversed by people in full sealed suits. Tariq now guards his family's bomb shelter, sworn to wait until such time it's safe for them to come out, complete with superhero costume and radioactive batons. <laughs> this seems to be the beginning of John's mad ghost imprint at Image. There is a one-page spread in the back. It's an ad for a Peter Tomasi book that looks pretty cool. I like the setup for sure, and Gary Frank is an amazing art talent, but maybe this felt a little sparse. I like the look of the character, and this obviously takes place years after the nuclear disaster, but outside of an emotional scene in the beginning, we really don't know much about the main character at all. I'm interested, and I'm in for more. This was a good start. I, I, I want to stress that. This is a good start for first offering from John's since 2018, not counting the stuff that was put off so long that it was slowly put out at DC. Uh, I mean, he did that one Stargirl story in Infinite Frontier. That's true. But That's true. I mean, yeah, it, he hasn't really that, done anything on the regular since yeah. Doomsday Clock. I'm giving this a buy it, but I do feel like they're trying to set up a mystery with who this character is, why he's doing what he's doing, but it seems kind of one note. Like we already sort of know why he's doing what he's doing. And everybody else is living through the mystery. You know what I mean? I mean, I guess. Uh, I thought it was fun. Uh, you know, fun, if fun being the right word for a story <laughs> about a nuclear holocaust. Oh, you're sick. Uh, but, you're really sick. You know that? Well, look, man. I am, I am who I am. No, I mean, if the um, setup is just and, what it is, and that's and Gary, the setup, and, I trust them. Yeah. But it seems like kind of a simple setup, right? Well, sure. I mean, yeah, yes, it's basic, but that's kind of, that's also kind of John's as MO, right? It's just like classic tropes with maybe a slight spin on it, you know? Yeah, I mean, I um, guess, I guess with And the uh, like Gary Frank. Yeah. Art, art by Gary Frank covers a multitude of sins. <laughs> it, it, it's hard not to look at this book and just be like completely taken by it because yeah. of how beautiful it is. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, yeah, basic, sure, maybe, but I still enjoyed it. I'm giving it a buy it. Um, you made a joke last week about uh, whether, or a couple of weeks ago, I guess, about whether or not we would ever see number two, right? Uh, based on Frank's uh, Frank's track record, um, he just tweeted out uh, earlier this week, or maybe late last week, that he had just finished pencils for issue number five. Hey, so, so we've got at uh, least five issues and then a two-year maybe. break. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Right. Well, you know, we one issue to go. It ain't over till it's over. But I'm not disparaging Johns. Yeah, and I would like to talk more about Jeff Johns this weekend on cover to cover. As far as like, what do we really enjoy about Johns when it comes to new and original creations? Because everything that I can think of that I love about Jeff Johns were things that he did to existing characters and stories he told with existing right. characters. So. I guess we'll see. We'll see if he can flesh this out into something bigger and crazier, Jeff Johnsier, if you will. But right now, it just felt a little basic, I guess. Yeah, that's a good word to use for it. My other book from last week is Green Lantern number one from DC. It was written by Jeffrey Thorne. It's drawn by Dexter Soy and Marco Santucci uh, with colors by Alex Sinclair. It is the Infinite Frontier relaunch of the Green Lantern Corps, uh, this time starring Jon Stewart. Uh, we've also got uh, lead characters, Simon Baz. Uh, Hal Jordan's in the mix here somewhere. We got mentions of uh, Jessica Cruz and Kyle Rayner. So it's all your faves. Uh, this takes place on Oa during the uh, first uh, summit of the United Planets being held on Oa. And it's all about the vote to let Oa into the UP or reject them for their long history of being complete universal fuck ups. <laughs> uh, and I really enjoyed that take on it. it like, when, when the characters that were debating it laid out all of the, Oh, it was Sinestro. When Sinestro laid out yeah. all of the, all of the mistakes of the green lantern Corps, I was like, I'm convinced, dude. Yeah. Yes. Do not let these people into your into your coalition. Yeah, I would have, I would have said straight up, like Sinestro's evil dude. You know what? He made he He's made some absolutely really, right. <laughs> he made some really salient points, yeah. at, and it's difficult to argue with. Uh, of course, spoilers. Uh, Oa gets in because come on, but uh, he, uh, trouble ensues. We've got a group of. Uh, insurgents from the sorcerer's world who are pissed at the guardians for hiding away the star heart, which is a deep cut for old green lantern and DC uh, JSA fans. Uh, basically it is the, uh, it is the collected essence of the wild magic in the DC universe. And it's super dangerous, right? It's super duper dangerous. Yeah. So it's like what you idiots, no way we're going to trust you with this. Well, and it was like, it was basically like, you know, Magic in the DC universe now, you've got a few adept users, right? You've got Zatanna and you've got Constantine and whomever, whoever. In the olden days, before the Starheart, it was like wild magic everywhere. And the Guardians had to button that shit down. And that's what gave Alan Scott, the original Green Lantern, his powers, oh. which is why they're similar. They're similar to... Uh, traditional green lanterns but they are magic based okay yeah so there's that. a deep cut from joe patrick there we go the story's pretty good jeffrey thorne does a great job it's awesome to see john stewart in a starring role and uh he lends himself well to being kind of a leader he is, he is the 
what would you say? He's like basically the ground leader of the of the of the Green Lanterns well, what of, the, they call of the rank and file Green Lanterns. He's got a title. What do they call him? It's core leader, I believe, is what they call him. Core leader Stewart. Yeah, he's basically leading the Green Lantern Corps now. But so. he still answers to the Guardians, you know. So he's not like yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's like the admiral of the Green Lantern Corps. Yeah. Let's let's say like how reports uh, to him. It's crazy. Right. Yeah, and which I think is pretty awesome. It's been uh, it's been too long since John Stewart has been like given a prominent. Like he's been around. He's certainly been in books, but like now he's on the big stage. He's in charge. And I think that's great. He's an awesome character. And the guardians really break down in this issue. What is special about him? Uh, the art by Dexter soy is really fantastic. He handles a lot of the uh, action scenes uh, throughout the book for some inexplicable reason. It is a number one issue. And we have a second artist. Yeah. Uh, who, who draws the, um, it's like the it's like the uh, intergalactic uh, senate from the uh, Star Wars prequels, right? And right? Not, They're all on floating platforms. He's by no means bad either. No, like, no, no. It's uh, good. It does a fine. He like yeah. He 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 uh, carries himself well. Uh, I just like why. It's a definite tonal switch from what Dexter Soy does. No question. Right. Right. Uh, but I still I like this. It's very it's very kind of back to basics traditional take on the Green Lantern Corps uh, with this new wrinkle added. Uh, with the United Planets and Teen Lantern, who is still this huge question mark. I'm curious to uh, see how she is explained her kind of teenage, her whole teen thing. It might wear pretty thin pretty quickly, but we'll see. Uh, for now, I'm giving this a buy it. Yeah, I don't think it's just John that needed to be brought back to the forefront. I think the core needed to be back brought right. back to the forefront. And they really did that here. They did a great job making you feel like, okay, Green Lantern Corps is here. They are established. They are a thing. They're not shattered and all over the place or rebuilding or under, right. under, like they're doing the job. And that's what I need. Are they bad at their job? Without question. But we need them, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, at the end of the day, when all is said and done, if uh, the anti-monitor shows up on my planet, and 10 Green Lanterns show right. up to fight him, yeah. I'm still going to be happy that they're there. Exactly, exactly. Now, the Teen Lantern thing, I, it's already wearing a little thin on me. I, I think it's interesting what they're kind of doing with her. She doesn't exactly have a ring. She has this gauntlet thing. They can't quite figure out what it is. There's a mystery yeah, they don't there. Know where it came from. They're afraid it might be like Krona's gauntlet, which was like a throwback to a Jeff Johns thing, actually. And I, it's interesting, but I really like seeing the core together. I really like this script. Jeffrey Thorne, who I don't even know, did a hell of a job making this feel like the big, crazy Green Lantern cosmic book that I used to love. And I'm just happy to see the core back. I'm happy to see John in this role. I'm happy to see all the old members of the core here so much. I'm giving this a buy. It, it was a ton of fun. Yeah, you know, uh, something that I forgot to mention is that uh, much like Grant Morrison's Green Lantern series was a back to basics about Hal Jordan just being a space cop. Right. This is a back to basics about the Green Lantern Corps just being this group of universal protectors. Yeah. This feels like the and, Green Lantern Corps book that I miss. I love and it's not, the Green Lantern Corps. Right. And, and while like you've got some red lanterns here, you've got some yellow lanterns here. It's not like 
they aren't what everything's all about. Right. You know, they're right. they're there because they're part of the universe and they ha- and they get a vote, which I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh and yeah, so it's 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 just a good Green Lantern core story. I, yeah. I liked it. And it's about time we had one. Let those who worship evil's might beware my power. Green Lantern's light. My final book from last week is Magic the Gathering, number one from Boom. It's written by Jed McKay with art by Ig Gara. Coming out of his celebrated Black Cat run at Marvel, Jed McKay bravely outs himself as a massive magic nerd by dropping readers neck deep into the lore behind the card game in Boom's first foray into the license. The story focuses on three planeswalkers from different classes, I apologize if that's not the right term, united by assassination attempts. The three are forced to work together to discover the real threat in what could easily be written off as an action movie trope, but McKay sells it very well, and his attention to detail was a little overwhelming for the uninitiated, but it's important. I am not a magic player. In truth, I've never played magic, so I admit I was a little out of my depth here, but there is something to be said for a comic not talking down to its fans. Magic is more than well-established as a card game with its own fantasy lore, so maybe this comic is for the fans. I raved about Marnus Calgar, the Warhammer 40,000 book at Marvel, that a lot of reviewers and readers who don't know that world found a little dense, but it was great because it was written for the fans. Igara is just amazing on art here and does an incredible job bringing the art of the card game to life onto the page. While I don't know this lore, and I'm probably not going to read much more, to be perfectly honest, I think it's awesome that this team decided to go full magic and make a comic for magic fans. When I first read it, I was very much in the skimmit territory because I, I don't know this. I don't feel much for it. And I looked into it and thought to myself, like, I'm going to ask a couple magic players I know and read some early reviews from people that are magic nerds. And they raved about it. They loved it. And the thing that they loved is they said, this is for us. This is for the fans. If you are a magic fan, this is a buy it. If you're not, it's a skim it. It's well executed. I have a good idea of what's going on. (laughs) See, that's just it though, Matt. You can't have it both ways. But this one is for the magic fans. And for that, I'm giving them a buy it. Uh, I'm reviewing it as a person who knows just enough about magic uh, to be dangerous due to my years selling the shit. Back when you were Uh, worshiping Satan. Yeah, right. Um, (laughs) You know, Dave DeMarco, I even let Dave DeMarco try to teach me how to play the game on a couple of occasions. I'm not good at it, and I don't remember how to play anymore because it's been five years at this point. I think the pictures on the cards are neat. Neat pictures. Right? Sure, the art is great. Yeah, you know, and and some and some like comic pros uh, have done it. Uh, yeah, there was a there's a guy that's famous for his Magic the Gathering art that actually used to draw Detective Comics. I think his name was Anthony Castillo. Uh, I might be misremembering the name, but he definitely was a Batman artist in the uh, early 2000s. And he draws, he paints magic cards, and they're yeah. awesome. Uh, but to me, this was a competently executed comic book that is so steeped in its own impenetrable lore that I can't imagine it being appealing to anyone that isn't already a fan. And I uh, don't disagree. 
And and for that, I give it a skim it because that's the definition of a skim it. You pick it up, you flip through it, you decide whether or not you think you're going to like it. You know, like I, I recognize enough of the terminology, Planeswalkers, Jace, Ravnica, like these are all things that are greatest hits words right. uh, in, in magic lore. Um, but it's also like very tropey, just like standard fantasy type stuff. Sure. The art is nice. Uh, it's a skimmit for me because if you don't like magic, I can't imagine you really giving a shit about this. Totally fair. Moving on to this week for me, my first review is of Lock and Key slash the Sandman Universe colon Hell and Gone number one from IDW slash DC Black Label, I guess. I guess. It's not the Sandmaniverse anymore, so who knows? It, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it does say the Sandman Universe on the cover. Oh, it does. And, I, but it does not say Black Label. It just says IDW and DC. Oh. Jack Locke has been dead for a decade, but that loss is still keenly felt by his family, especially his elderly father. Making it worse is the fact that the magical artifacts of Key House the Locke family estate allow Jack to still be a literal presence in their lives in just about the worst way you can imagine. <laughs> Jack's sister, Mary decides to travel to jolly old England. Nope. I used that phrase in my Batman review. Jack's sister, Mary decides to travel to England to strike a deal with the imprisoned King of dreams to free her brother's soul from hell. Try to keep up. If there's a property that makes perfect sense to link to the world of Neil Gaiman's dreaming, it's lock and key. Your usual creative team of writer Joe Hill and artist, artist Gabriel Rodriguez create a seamless link between the two worlds. They just they really just fit together like two jigsaw puzzle pieces. There's no reason why these two things can't coexist. Sure. They take us on a uh, sort of greatest hits tour of Morpheus's home. Setting the story during the time where Morpheus is a prisoner of Roderick Burgess, uh, for those of you that may not remember or have not read it, uh, that's in the very first uh, issue of Sandman, Neil Gaiman's Sandman from 1993. This allows Hill and Rodriguez to present a very different vision of the dreaming. It's not a fun place. This issue doesn't hold your hand at all as far as the lore of either series is concerned. So people that haven't read both might feel a little lost, but the art by Rodriguez is a tremendous visual treat. It, he channels P Craig Russell in a way Definitely. that like, I can't believe some of the things that I was looking at. He's but so good. You also never he's feel so like he's good. like aping P Craig Russell. Either. No, it's, it's still very much yeah. distinctly Gabriel Rodriguez. It's, it still feels very much like a lock and key story. But much like he kind of massaged his style for some of those other like uh, genre one shots, like the Grindhouse one shot for Lock and Key. There was like a little Nemo style one. Yeah. You know, he kind he like this is like right. Uh, this fits right into San the Sandman universe. Now. Joe, you might be asking yourself, uh, why are you singing the praises of this book? When you just said that if you okay, now back a off, fan, I was about to jump all over you. You're going to take my trampoline away. That's all you're going to yes, do. Yes, I am. Because <laughs> I look, this is my review. Damn it. Uh, why am I singing this book's praises? 
when I was just criticizing magic for being too high on its own supply. I think that that is because while Hill does not necessarily spoon feed you the history of Lock and Key or Sandman, I also don't think it's necessarily impossible to follow. And the artwork is so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Uh, I am a fan of both series. I loved Lock and Key, Sandman number one. I'm giving this a buy it. Okay. I'm giving it a buy it as well. You talked me into it. I'm giving it a buy it as well. But the one thing that the magic book did that this book did not was get to the goddamn point. It's true. I mean, and that is one of the reasons I'm giving magic, you know, a buy it because was it deep? Was it, was it intense? Was there a lot of detail? Yes, but it got to the point. This book wandered and wandered and wandered and it was very so, pretty while it was wandering. Don't get me wrong. It was very mm-hmm. pretty while it was wandering, but it never got to a point and maybe it will. Well, but, I mean, we know what the point is eventually. I, it's it's I Mary's suppose, yeah. journey to hell to try to rescue her brother. I suppose, but, but I uh, I am not 100% roped into this yet. I think it would be great when it's done. So my my response to that particular criticism is that I think that if you if you if you came to this book as a lock and key fan uh because that's kind of like the more current mm-hmm. Uh, franchise and and quite honestly that was more in the forefront of my head because i haven't revisited sandman in so long yeah right and i gave up on most of the recent sandman stuff because eh. same right (laughs) you know no yeah exactly exactly i tried it's just like i don't have time for that workout with all my other comic workouts you know it's that's absolutely fair i totally agree i skipped sandman leg day i guess is what i'm saying (laughs) (laughs) uh to me Hill and Rodriguez taking the time to let readers follow Mary as she explores the dreaming was a good way to kind of introduce that concept. Sure. And so, yes, does it meander? Does it get like, is there a point where we get to like, and now she's got the key to hell and there's Lucifer? No, no I mean, we, I got not that. there yet. It just kind of feels like um, the Sandman part is just a place to meander in right now. I don't it's taking it. It's I don't understand why we need the Sandman part to tell this story other than it's neat that she's wandering around the halls of the Sandman book. All right. Well, uh, sell me on that. Sell me on that. And I'm a hundred percent in, but I need to know what? why it's important that the Sandman universe is there when she could have just wandered around the perfectly amazing universe of the lock and key stories you know i mean well because so, the key to hell is a key piece of the sandman story and right. lock and key is all about magic keys sure so i mean it makes sense to me and if you look at any number of the seventy-five thousand variant covers for this issue you will see that the majority of them feature <laughs> the key to hell yes. or lucifer or both right so i mean we know where it's going it's just taking its time to get there yeah. My first book from this week is Home, number one from Image. This is written by Julio Anta with art by Anna Wyzacek. Home opens with a mother-son journey from Guatemala to a pedestrian bridge that leads to the U.S. It is a grueling tale of migration from terrifying circumstances to Donald Trump's zero-tolerance border that locked migrants in cages and separated children from their parents. That happened, and if you don't think it did, you're wrong. The story opens with a quote from a memo from Trump's attorney general that I had to search just to make sure it was real. 
And as unbelievably racist and ridiculous and cruel as it reads, it is word for word real. Absolutely disgusting. The story and this creative team is telling is not only hard to read, but it's important. And it's based off true events that we as a country should never be allowed to forget. But unlike our current issues with immigration in the wake of the Trump admin, this story has a hero with superpowers. And that's good, because up until the point where the little migrant kid shows he has powers to fight back, I felt sick to my damn stomach. Home is a modern tale of forced migration with a superhero twist, and it was incredible in both art and storytelling. There is nothing groundbreaking about the art here, but it is so perfectly humanizing in its almost cartoonishness and what it's showing you. I I cannot tell you how excellent this book was. I'm giving it a massive buy it. Yeah. You know, I'm actually going to disagree with you about the art, not uh, groundbreaking, you know, like that we toss that term around as though it's not even groundbreaking, but I guess not standard superhero art. I would say it's a little softer and a little more cartoony. Yes, right. So, I mean, I, I, to say that it's not groundbreaking is kind of an unfair criticism because really, how often do we see groundbreaking comic book art? Yeah, I, that was a um, poor choice of I words. I say, I take though, it back. that this... Uh, no, no, I, like, I mean, I get... I mean, I understand where you're coming from. Um, but this has kind of a, like you said, it's a softer, uh, very cartoony, uh, anime-influenced or manga-influenced uh, style that kind of belies the subject matter right and i don't want to say that like it makes it more palatable um but it's different it's definitely like more humanizing yeah, i would say I, th- I would say it gave it this kind of yeah. alternative comic book feel where it seems like it is telling a, a true slice of life story and up until one moment it is not a superhero book and when it yeah, yeah. does become a superhero book it does not ruin the slice of life the the, no, the story no, what's no. going on it makes the reader go, oh, thank God. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. No. And, and again, like the superhero elements. Again, I don't want to make it sound like it's like, oh, th- like, oh, I thought this was going to be a story about real life. No. But it kind of mirrors the, the early story of Superman. If you want to if you want to go in that direction. Sure. Uh, if Superman was plagued by you know, racist immigration policy. Well, I mean, a child that's forced to immigrate to a strange place. But, right. Yeah. It's a stranger and, in a strange land. Yeah. You know, uh, doesn't understand what's happening to him. Born with abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Sure. It, like it's, it hits all those buttons. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's a modern take on that kind of immigrant as right. a superhero. And even saying superhero is kind of a, a mischaracterization because he's just a kid. Right. It also, uh, but he's got, like, he's got, a, he's got powers. It also um, doesn't use that to gloss over like the reality right, yeah, of the no, situation. It, it's, it's right. It, there's nothing about this or the fantastical elements that are there to make you feel better about what you're reading. Right. Uh, it was, it was, it's gut wrenching. It's gut wrenching. And like, Hey, look, you know, we're, we're, we're pinko commie liberals here in this <laughs> ziggurat. But, and, and so like, uh, we understand, like, oh, Barack Obama's administration built the camp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. But the very terrifying reality of what people fleeing 
uh, persecution and poverty in uh, to come to this country went through and are still going through now because it takes a long time to turn a train around. Yeah. Uh, is horrific. It's horrific. And it's captured and, very well here. Right. And this comic book, this comic book is, I would say a must read. Yeah. It's a must read. It's absolutely a buy it from me. And like, I can't say enough about how far the art goes to humanize the people involved, yeah. both in good and bad ways. And, uh, the emotion that is conveyed by these like seemingly impish cartoonish animated faces is very impressive. Yeah. Well done. Well done. The wizard's name. My final review of the week goes to Batman, the detective number one. It's from DC. Tom Taylor gets his shot writing the dark Knight alongside longtime bat artist, Andy Kubert. This is an older, more weary Bruce Wayne desperately searching for a sign that his life has had any impact on Gotham City outside of the immediate, like, Batman saved this person specifically from a burning building or a mugging or whatever. Right. And you know what? This seems like the kind of story they could have just worked right into the Bat continuity that's going on right now. It would have been perfect. Like yes. It starts with him getting like leaving the, the mansion. Why not just be like, well, I got kicked out of the mansion. <laughs> so here I am. Sure. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I can, I can buy that. There's an argument to be made that that kind of puts our iconic current Batman on a very specific path that maybe they don't want to follow right now. Sure. Sure. Uh, when a bat themed uh, terrorist attack on an airliner, leaves 147 passengers dead. Batman travels to jolly old England to crack the case alongside the new Knight and Squire, uh, whom you may recognize from Grant Morrison's work on the book back in the day. Batman it's, Inc. Uh, yes, they, I believe they also showed up in the mainline Batman run and Batman and Robin, but definitely they were a presence in Batman Incorporated. It's hard to reconcile, uh, like Matt said, it, it is kind of hard to reconcile this version of Batman with either the current or the Dark Knight Returns continuities, which causes this story to stand apart from both. Yeah. Uh, like when we read the solicit, we had it in our minds because of what the original title was, that it was definitely in the Dark Knight Returns continuity. Right. I don't like, think that it is. I don't think it is either now. And it, and they sure made it sound like this is like Batman, like Frank Miller, Batman year one, and then Batman year two. And then maybe this story happened. And then much later, <laughs> the Dark right. Knight Returns, you know, <laughs> like, it, like DC specifically changed the name of the title from Batman, the Dark Knight to Batman, the detective to avoid that confusion. But this is an older Batman, you know, probably in his late 40s or 50s. He's old. His body doesn't work the way it used to. And he's just like tired of not feeling like he's making a difference. Uh, Taylor's knack for smart characterization creates a sense of familiarity with the character. Uh, even though, like I said, this Batman is very different from the ones that we're used to reading about. This uh, creative team delivers several impressive action sequences, uh, especially one that features a horrific new take on a classic DC villain. Uh, not only was the fight awesome, but the ending of the fight where Batman is talking to Squire about it 
uh, just like really made me laugh. Yeah. And, and man, Tom Taylor's so good at that shit. Tom Taylor's not the guy. He's not Jeff Johns. Tom Taylor's no. not a guy that's going to come in and say, remember that weird unanswered question about why this character was that? Well, there's a whole story. Nope. He's just going to say, hey, here's one cool thing a character hasn't done before. Pretty cool, right? And you go, oh, right. fuck yeah, Tom Taylor. That was cool. <laughs> but, but, while also, but while also giving you a characterization of that hero that feels right. Right. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Like, is it wacky what he did there? Yes. Is it totally Batman? Without a doubt. Of 100%. Course. <laughs> like, yes, 100%. No question. Like, yes, Batman has shark repellent in his belt. Yeah. I be- yeah, I yeah. It. Universal shark repellent. What, <laughs> yeah. else, what else are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. Some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. You know, you're Batman. Kubert's art really shines in this issue. It's full of densely packed pages of small panels, but they still deliver clear and exciting storytelling. A lot of artists, especially modern artists, like to fall back on the tiny little panels. Yeah. Uh, and it's like so unclear what they're trying to get across. Kubert here is like, it, it's completely clear at every step what's happening in this comic. Yeah. And the dude's not like a splash page guy. That's not his thing either, but he is a big panel. Tell the story, follow the action guy. And that's why I've always loved him. And I, and right. I, God, he's wonderful here. He's, he, I mean, he's good at both. You know, he, the, like when that villain I mentioned shows up, it's like this full three quarter page. Yeah. And it's kick ass. And it's like, Oh man, that God. <laughs> what? And then like it and Kubert's take on that villain is so different that until Batman says the guy's name in the next page, I was like, same here. Oh, that's who that is. I had no idea. And then I looked back at it again and went, ah, yes, I see it now. I've wanted to see Tom Taylor on a bat title for a long time. Uh, This continuity adjacent miniseries is a great indication of the writer's strong take on the character. I really do hope it leads to more. Uh, Tom Taylor has done wonderful work at Marvel. He took a a character that I could not care less about, really, X-23, and turned her into a wonderful star and a Wolverine in her own right. Yeah, definitely. And at DC, it seems like he's been relegated to video game tie-ins and out-of-continuity zombie stories. By the way, every time we reviewed him, we really liked him. They're great. They're great. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, the only thing that I can remember that Tom Taylor has done in the mainline DC universe is that Suicide Squad run that only lasted eight issues. I hope this leads to more. For now, I'm giving Batman the Detective a buy it. I really loved it. Yeah, I don't have much to add. I mean, you said everything. I uh, This is just a great Batman story, and I hope this is the Tom Taylor Batman tryout book, quite honestly. I want more yeah. Tom Taylor Batman. I want it now. And if Kubert's on the book, kick ass. I'm totally down. Yep. Yeah, huge buy it for me. Sorry, almost forgot. My final review from this week goes to Spider's Shadow, number one from Marvel. It's written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Pascal Ferry. What if returns to Marvel without the what if banner with this first story of what if Spider-Man never gave up the black venom costume? It actually does have a what if banner. It's just very small. It is. If you look in the, if you look in the top right corner, there is a brand new logo for what if. Oh, I didn't even see it. 
Uh, Chip Zdarsky tweeted about it today. He designed that logo. I didn't it's awesome even looking. see it. It was so small. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm glad it's there then. I feel better. The forward states this story takes place around the time of Amazing Spider-Man 258, which was the story that saw Peter first starting to realize that there was something strange about the black costume. Other than it was moving black goo that crawled over his body during the Secret Wars on an yeah, alien you know, planet. You know. <laughs> more strange. More Other than stranger. that. <laughs> yeah. Zdarsky and Fairy's Peter takes a different turn and clings to the suit, telling Mr. Fantastic that the suit is a living thing and it's helping him, which, of course, leads to dire personal consequences. A lot of my favorite what-if stories weren't built on real solid foundations because they only had one issue to tell the story. And in the back matter, Zdarsky mentions how much he loves the Marvel what-if stories and how finally they're getting a chance to breathe in a multi-issue format. I can't say that I crave a story where Peter's life unravels because of his poor choices, but this team does a fantastic job making this story compelling. Ferry works with Matt Hollingsworth on colors, and some of it, especially the black costume, felt kind of flat to me, but I do think they were making a choice by making the costume just solid black to seem even more menacing. It's otherworldly. Yeah. You know, it looks like a shadow. It, it really does. This was a great script by Zadarsky and the first time Ferry has ever drawn a Spidey book. And I got to say, his Hobgoblin kicked ass. It was really cool. And these two are off to a great start. I'm giving this a buy it. And here's to more what if stories written like this, fleshed out, six issue minis, tell me some weird stories, label them as what if so I know exactly what I'm getting into. And let's do it. Thank you, Marvel. Yeah, I. I absolutely loved this. Uh, I, I love the kind of retooling of what if as a longer form yeah. style of storytelling. And, you know, if they've got a story to justify it, great. Absolutely great. Uh, and I thought that this was awesome. Um, you know, you and I kind of texted back and forth about uh, the colors of the costume. Uh, I happen to really love it. It is different. The more I looked at um, it, the more I the more I saw what they're going for. Like if you look at um, you know any modern Venom comic or even even Spidey comics from back in the day, it's never really true black, right? You know, no, it's, no, no. It's like blue and it's, black. It's, and, it's very, very dark with right. plenty of blue outlines, so that you know where like the light is hitting it. This looks. This makes it look like the symbiote is a void of like it's yeah void of light like i also right? think pascal ferry's art is so rounded and three-dimensional that and it just pops off the page that when they colored it like this it, you're right it made it look otherworldly separate different dark right uh i thought this was awesome man chip zadarsky yeah <sighs> firing on all cylinders that dude's having a year and like, you know, one of the criticisms I, I one of my original, um, not really a criticism because I hadn't read it yet, but my initial thought, and then some of the other things that I saw uh, being said online that mirrored that was like, Marvel did this story in What If Volume 2, Number 4 sure. in, from the late 80s. It was drawn by Mark Pagley. Yeah. And like, yeah, what if Spider-Man never gave, gave up the costume? Guess what? Bad things happened. Yeah, it was one issue. Right. Yes, exactly. And, and like, you know what? Yeah, that story has its place. It's done in one. It's perfectly fun and acceptable. 
why revisit it? Because there are so many other possibilities based Definitely. on all the other stuff going on in Spider-Man's life at the time. Uh, you've got that Hobgoblin mystery drama going on. You've got Aunt, an Aunt May that still doesn't know Peter Spider-Man. Uh, and all the drama that that brings. Well, and they definitely and, like changed the Hobgoblin story. Like shit changed here. The Hobgoblin is not going to go on to do what he did in the original pages. Like it goes really bad for the Hobgoblin really fast. Right, right. <laughs> and I, yeah, this was this was awesome. This is a buy it. And I like I can't wait for Marvel to do more of this. I hope it's yeah. as good. And for those of you who are going to be like, Oh, well, you bitch all about this black label stuff where they're showing whatever. They're taking chances here. They're taking chances with established stories that they don't do with a lot of the black stables, black label stuff that I've criticized. They've just sort of edged it up. Ooh. Well, but and that's, that's the thing, not though. Like when black, chance, when you know? black label, when there's a reason that when there's a comic that comes out that justifies black labels existence, like Wonder Woman, Dead Earth. Right. We yes. rave about it. And it was great. We rave about it. Because they took chances. They did right. something there, you know? When it's just, but when they pull shit like, it's a story about the Joker, but there's three of them and Robin murders what? Get out of here. Yeah. Get out of here yeah. with that nonsense. Whatever. You know, there's no reason for that to not just be a normal ass comic story just so that you can have uh, Jason Todd say the word fuck or shit or right. whatever. Right. I don't even think they or even have go Harley Quinn kissing Jared Leto, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, great. Matt, that is it for our reviews. We read a lot of great comics this week, but as we do, we've got to pick the best. Which one of these comics makes it into your permanent collection? It's home. It's home number one. No question. 100%. Yes. yes. I mean, it wasn't close. It just, it took, we were just talking about yeah. taking chances with storytelling. It took a huge chance. It did something that I was kind of afraid could have been handled poorly and could have been exploitative and fucking nailed it. Yep. And I, I already gushed about this one, but it's home number one. No question. Yeah. Yeah. It, I am, I am a huge mark for uh, superhero stories, especially stories that play with continuity. So there were plenty of books this week that I loved and could have picked. Home was without a doubt the book that I found the most affecting. And I loved it. I loved it. And it's absolutely my pick. So you heard our opinions. Now we want to hear from you. Hit us up this weekend on THN cover to cover. Let us know what you thought of these comics or call us 402 819 Leave a message, we'll play it on the show, and let us know what you thought of anything from this pile. It's time to head up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we study our dark and dusty magic tomes. But we don't keep those bagged and boarded, you know? They just go on the shelf, so... Yeah, right. And of course, we also tell you nerds what you should be reading next week. Joe Patrick, tell them about your must-read pick. For next Wednesday, 421 day after 420 bro my pick for next week is the old guard tales through time number one from image comics it's written by greg rucka and various art by leandro fernandez and various it's 32 pages for 399 and here's your solicit boy it's a huge list of names it's an anthology comic star-studded you might say it's based, it's uh, best-selling, critically acclaimed. It's The Old Guard. There was a Netflix movie about it starring Charlize Theron. You may have seen it. 
This is all new stories by Rucka. We've got Vita Ayala, Brian Michael Bendis, Kelly Sue DeConnick, Fraction, David Walker, and more. We've got Leandro Fernandez on art, Horatio Altuna. I do not know who that is. I don't either. Rick Burchett, who I love, uh, Valentine, Valentine Delandro, Justin Greenwood, Kano, Nicola Scott. What a great group of talent. Here's the actual solicit part. Andro Mache, the Scythian warrior. Andrew Mock? Andro Mock? <laughs> yeah, Andromache. Oh, you <laughs> there know what? You go. That makes way more sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Andromache, the Scythian <laughs> warrior. Andromache! <laughs> Andromache, the Scythian warrior over 6,000 years old who has fought more battles than she cares to remember, has kept one constant companion through her long lifetime of combat. Her Labrys, that's the weird axe. Andy's battle axe takes many forms and many lives. In its centuries at her side, a story told by the old guard creators, Greg Rucka and Leandro Fernandez. Meanwhile, Nikki DiGenova and Joe Al Kasani, lovers since they tried and failed to kill each other in the first crusade, spend an evening at Berlin's famed El Dorado nightclub in the twilight era of 1932, sharing drinks with drag queens and fist-fighting Nazis in an all-new story written by Andrew Wheeler, uh, who you may know from Another Castle, colon, Grimoire, and Jacopo Camagni, who drew Nomen Omen, a book that I definitely, whose name I definitely recognize, but I did not read. I reviewed it. Oh, okay, good. It was good. I liked it. All right, very good. Um, I must have read it then. Uh, I love the old guard. I loved the movie. The movie inspired me to like go back and reread the original series and then get caught up on the follow-up series. This is kind of like a, uh, you know, tales of the old guard anthology, which I'm all, I'm all about. And uh, I just, I can't wait for more about these characters and their past lives. Super great stuff. Yeah. What's your pick? There's no preview for this one, unfortunately. So we're, we're not going to post it, but my pick is Way of X, number one from Marvel Comics. It's written by Cy Spurrier with art by Bob Quinn and a cover by Giuseppe Comuncoli. 48 pages. It's $4.99. Here is your solicit. The way to the future of X! Which they could have just said the way of X, but whatever. Mutant kind has built a new Eden, but there are serpents in this game. Some mutants struggle to fit in. Some mutants turn to violence and death. And the children whisper of the patchwork man singing in their heads. Only one mutant senses the looming shadows, snared by questions of death, law, and love. Only Nightcrawler can fight for the soul of Krakoa. Only he and the curious crew he assembles can help mutants defeat their inner darkness and find a new way to live. The Way of X! I'm not going to read over the rest where it talks about how great these guys are. But look, it's Who the hell is Bob Quinn? I don't know. I don't know the name, but the art is really good. And we'll have a preview on in our show notes if you want to check it out his art apparently is apparently he really drew good. Uh, captain america okay i don't according to the solicit fair enough look it's an x-men book it's written by size superior and nightcrawler is the team leader and if you don't like nightcrawler i don't like you it's that simple i don't trust you i don't like you and you're probably a bad person okay <laughs> that's all i have to say about it in the wake of all of this X of Swords stuff, and I know that was a little much for a lot of people. I liked it, but the X-Men books are in a great goddamn place. This is going to lead straight into the Hellfire Gala stuff. This looks fantastic. I'm totally in. Oh, all right. Well, Bob Quinn, 
He's done some other X-Men stuff. Uh, he's done a handful of Marvel things here and there. He drew uh, James Bond origin. Oh, he drew Green okay. Hornet meets the spirit. Yes, he's uh, very good. He did a, a Lone Ranger series. Uh, yeah, his art is awesome. Bob Q is how he's professionally known, and that sounds way more familiar. That's why I didn't recognize him. Bob Q, Bob, had they said Bob that- Bob Q, exclamation point. I would have said, oh yeah, that guy that worked on the War Ellis James Bond and stuff. He's really good. <laughs> the THN trade for next week is Knights of Heliopolis. It's a hardcover from Titan Comics. There's also a soft cover, so. Oh, all right. There you go. It's 232 pages for $39.99 in hardcover or $24.99 in softcover. So you have options. There you go. It's written by Alejandro Jodorowsky with art by Jeremy. Just Jeremy. Just Jeremy. Here's your solicit. Surrealist samurai tale from the legendary filmmaker behind the Holy Mountain. The next incredible graphic novel from acclaimed writer Alejandro Jodorowsky puts a supernatural spin on The Man in the Iron Mask, published in English for the very first time. Based on one of the greatest myths in the history of France, featuring iconic historical figures like King Louis the 14th, nope, that's the 16th, and Marie Antoinette, Roman numerals kid. You got there. You got there. I got there. Uh, there's a preview available at firstcomicsnews.com. We will link to it, as Matt has threatened multiple times during this podcast. Yeah, I can't wait. It looks great. Uh, I've I've really been wanting to get into more. Was this like a Humanoids comic to begin I with? Think humanoids I, think Titan, is humanoid, I think Titan puts out the Humanoids yeah, stuff. Yeah, they now. are Titan now. And Alejandro Jodorowsky is the guy behind like Inko and the all Inkel, that. The yeah. Yeah, that massive, huge, crazy sci-fi stuff that they did at Humanoids. This looks gorgeous, like unstoppably gorgeous. This Jeremy guy, Humanoids is famous for finding these European artists that are, I'm just going to say it, too good to work on our shitty American comics, okay? <laughs> like, they are masters of what like, they if you do. See, if you see Jeremy drawing like a Harley Quinn spinoff book, he's fallen on hard times. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So this looks incredible. You can find our complete review list every Wednesday on our Twitter and Facebook if you want to read along with us. So hit up your local comic shop, pre-order all these comics. That way you can play along. And don't forget to pick up the THN. Take a look. It's in a book club read for this month. We will be reviewing Jupiter's Legacy Volume 1 from Image to get ready for Mark Miller. And uh, I guess it was Frank Quietly to begin with. Yep. It's the first Netflix show based on a Miller World property. It hits May 7th. Go pick that mess up now and come play with those kids. If you've been watching Falcon and the Winter Soldier and wondering, who is this new Captain America? Well, you're in luck, kid, because the comic pushers are here to set you up with the definitive John Walker reading. And it starts with his first appearance in Captain America, 1968, number 323. This was written by Mark Grunewald with alt by Paul Neary. The cover is by Mike Zeck. And this was during that time when the covers were just like, 
the face of the character, and then you had all the Marvel characters, oh. the entire Marvel universe, in the frame around them. Yeah, that was like one month. Oh my god, uh, I love those I, covers. I love it. it was like a tw- Marvel twenty fifth anniversary thing. They were so um, great. Just like just to be perfectly clear, it's the volume of Captain America that started in nineteen sixty eight. Yes. This comic book came out in the eighties. Right. Now, over the last few issues, Captain America's faith in the American dream had suffered its greatest blow because. Well, he shot a guy. Can Cap's faith be renewed after what he has just experienced? This introduces the incredible Super Patriot, which is how we meet Johnny Walker. The whole story was brother went to Vietnam and died in action. And the parents were like, he's such a hero. We, we love him so much. He did so much for this country. What's wrong with you, you piece of crap? And so he's like, I'll show my parents. Goes out, gets superpowers. He's getting ready to become a pro wrestler and he's approached by Val Cooper, who's like, what do you think about trying this hero business first? And that's kind of how he becomes a super patriot. But instead of like doing super heroic things like Captain America, he like sets up a fake thing where he's attacked by a bunch of dudes on stage while he's talking about how kick ass like Captain Yeah, he cuts a wrestling promo basically. Right, more or less. And the guys that attack him are these fake gang called the Buckies, and they support the Cap that everybody's kind of mad at right now cuz Cap shot a guy. <laughs> Turns out one of them happens to be his buddy Lamar Hoskins. Who That's we will right. Meet. You might uh, you might find that name familiar as well from the Falcon and Winter Soldier show. We'll meet him in the next issue we're going to talk about Captain America. Number 333, also written by Mark Gruenwald with art by Tom Morgan. Mike Zek is still on covers here. And this is that famous cap cover where it's like the empty suit just kind of floating in space. Yeah, over like a background of faces. Yeah. Alongside friend and Bucky's colleague, Lamar Hoskins, John Walker is appointed as the all-new Captain America with Hoskins as his Bucky. And basic training has just begun. No, I don't need to read this whole thing. but they establish how Walker got his powers right. from the power they, broker. They kind of, um, they kind of spell out that history over the course of many issues. Right. Uh, Did- so uh, Lamar Hoskins would eventually uh, adopt the role of the, pardon me, the identity of Battlestar, uh, which is what he goes by on the show. Doesn't go well. <laughs> well, you know, we're not going to talk about show spoilers here. Um, but yeah, so it's like, it's very, uh, you know, he's this kind of replacement cap and Hoskins is his replacement sidekick though. At the time cap did not have a sidekick. Right. Um, so they're more like partners, you know? Well, they're kind of going back to basics and they're like, let's just start yeah, all over. Right. Let's start all over cap Bucky. Here we are. Yeah, it's like a branding thing. He's even wearing like the old Bucky costume yep. uh, with the domino mask and everything. And this is from such a great time that Mark Grunewald run is so much fun because they established like this entire universe of politically driven characters. There were anarchists, there were Americans, there were Confederates. There was, yeah, like, the every- flag smashers are yeah, involved. Ultimatum. Here, yeah. Ultimatum. And the uh, whole who I love. Yeah. Uh, they are the ski jacket wearing, uh, ski jacket and ski mask and, and beret, beret wearing yes. terrorist organization. White leather jacket, black beret, White, and yes, Terminator uh, glasses. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and uh, you know we've got a whole bunch of other uh, organizations that aren't around anymore. The Watchdogs, oh, yeah. uh, the Resistance. I think it was one of them. And over the course of Walker's run on as Captain America, um. 
he becomes increasingly unhinged due to events that transpire. His parents are murdered in front of him by left winger and right winger who are, if I'm recalling correctly, two former partners. Yes. They were uh, that become villains. They were also part of the Bucky's squad that he used. And, uh, and so like he ties them up to a factory wall that's about to explode and leaves them for dead. Uh, in the issue, uh, I reviewed Captain America 350 a few weeks ago where we talked about the other guys, right? Right. Uh, 350 is uh, John's last issue as Captain America, and he murders many people. A lot of people. <laughs> many people. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, so his tenure, um, of course, you find out in that issue that he has been uh, being manipulated by the Red Skull who is in a cloned body of Steve Rogers. It's a whole thing. Don't worry about it. He's thinking about running for president. It was a whole thing. Right. But like, he's like, who needs Hydra when I can just be an American politician and still get what I want? Yeah. Which almost worked very recently. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's very prescient (laughs) if you think about it. And like the whole thing though, with like John being not necessarily a sympathetic character, but you can see how it is very difficult to be Captain America and Steve it's was an ideal that's hard to live up to. Right. And Steve was the guy. And if John right. is guilty of anything, he's guilty of trying too hard to be the guy and making some bad decisions along the way. And also multiple counts of murder. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, those are some of the bad decisions. <laughs> yes. Um, so yes, uh, it, it's revealed in three fifty that the red skull has secretly been manipulating uh, John's time as Captain America. More specifically, he was manipulating uh, the commission that made those decisions where the aforementioned Val Cooper was kind of a, a higher up. And like whenever somebody involved was like, this guy needs to get fired. Uh, they like the skull would massage things and come up with a way to keep him in there. Well, and the government also liked him because they're like, it was, we can yeah. control this guy and we he, he'll do whatever we, we want. Felt He's like a soldier. We could not orders. control Steve. Right. Yeah, exactly. Which is exactly how he got the job on the West Coast Avengers. (laughs) That's right. Uh, Fast forward four more more issues uh, to Captain America 354. This is also written by Grunewald with art by Morgan and a cover by Mike Zeck. Is it by Mike Zeck or is it by Kieran Dwyer? The cover? I think that cover is, is by Kieran Dwyer. Actually, Oh, it was listed as Mike Zeck. I don't know. Well, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure Kieran Dwyer was the artist of that run. So, you know, you'll look it up. It's fine. I'm looking it up. Under a civilian cover identity, Walker steps into a new role with a fresh mindset. Upon Steve's return as Cap, he he adopts the red, white, and black Captain costume that Steve wore while he was not Captain America. And it's matching a vibranium shield. Instead of going by his regular name john johnny walker he goes by jack daniels there you go get it in case you didn't quite understand (laughs) that he's named after a whiskey it is in fact Uh, kieran dwyer you're not wrong kieran dwyer and uh al milgram inked him okay there you go uh this is where walker resumes government service as the superhero u.s agent which i desperately hope they do that on the show. Please don't kill this character. 
please. Well, we have two issues to go. I know. Two episodes I know. to go. And so I don't. Don't know. kill him. Just don't kill him. It's all I ask. Okay. I no, really uh, like, like I want them to leave. I want them to leave it open to possibility. Yes. I would love but to see I him. But I don't, I don't think we'll get to the U.S. agent in, oh, this, I hope in so. this particular series. But I mean, whether he comes later on when he comes back. He, of course, had a stint with the West Coast Avengers. He popped up in issue 44, which was written by John Byrne with art and cover by John Byrne. This was a time when he joined the Avengers West Coast crew in the midst of the Vision Quest, just in time for part three of Vision Quest. And this is a story arc that saw the Vision decommissioned and turned back online in his white form, which we just saw in the end of WandaVision, by the way. We did. While he may have had an off-putting start to his career, Walker changed the minds of his teammates with his cap-like resolve here. It was this. It was this run of uh, West Coast Avengers that I was first introduced to John Walker, and over time he became like a, 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 a Guy Gardner esque, you know, hero. Right. Yes, asshole. Definitely. definitely. Yeah. And you know, so it's the sort of character that you hate to love, and love to hate. You know, and. Uh, I became a fan of him f- during this run of uh, West Coast Avengers, uh, later titled Avengers West Coast, because you gotta <laughs> you gotta put that branding first. Baby. Yeah, we want that under A, okay? You're right. It's like comic shops were complaining about where to file it, right. and Marvel was just like, "Fine, fuck it, file it under A." <laughs> From there, we got the my first experience with a U.S. agent, which I don't remember loving, but it was a thing. It was U.S. agent. Number one from 1993, written by Mark Grunewald, who was all over this guy. Grunewald created him, right? Yep. Okay. With art by M.C. Wyman. I bought this because the art was cool. It was the 90s. I was an art guy. What can you do? Yeah. If you look back at it now, you will find that M.C. Wyman was a terrible artist. Yeah, not so great. Johnny Walker. Sorry. Johnny Walker is the last hope of defeating the supervillain mass murderer, Scourge. I love Scourge so much. <laughs> I have almost no memory of this, and I definitely bought this miniseries. But this is when they definitely decided, okay, he's going to be a good guy again. No, no, he's for sure a good guy. Yeah, yeah. for sure a good guy. Uh, there is a trade paperback in print uh, that collects a smattering of these items. It's called U.S. Agent The Good Fight. It collects his first appearance, uh, Cap 333. It collects the entire uh, U.S. Agent first miniseries from 1993, one through four. Uh, there was another U.S. Agent mini in 2001, one through three. That's in there as well. It also collects material uh, from the uh, rest of his time in the main cap book, as well as West Coast Avengers 100. Uh, it's kind of like a greatest hits of John Walker. Yeah. every Like if you want to shotgun the whole thing, there you go. And we will have all these titles in our required reading notes. So I realized we went through those pretty fast, but check the show notes. They'll be right there. Everything you need to know about the comic history of John Walker, who still around, by the way, there is a Christopher Priest series coming out right now. We gave it a skim it, as I recall. <laughs> um, so the thing about U.S. Agent uh, is that uh, I think that his original costume is fucking rad. Yeah, totally rad. That, that red, white, and black oh, uh, yeah. captain costume is totally awesome. Love it. And uh, in, in later on in like 2001, uh, they made it a little bit more like 
militaristic, uh, but still very similar, which was also awesome. Then, uh, well, actually, prior to 2000, no. You know what? I don't know what year it was, um, but there was, a, there was a U.S. agent miniseries that we did not bring up uh, that kind of, uh, it either spun out of or uh, tied into Maximum Security. Which was a terrible Marvel event. It was garbage, yeah. And, uh, where like <laughs> the the galactic <laughs> the galactic council of aliens in the Marvel universe basically decided that Earth is their toilet. No, Earth is their Australia. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, "Look, just send all of the scum from your various planets to Earth. We'll make it a penal colony without our consent." And that's maximum security. Sounds great on paper, terrible in execution. And so they gave US agent this like very Judge Dread inspired helmeted, like motorcycle helmet, Ugh. leather jacket look with a weird looking so shield bad. and an energy baton. Like it's like, in case you didn't already know that the US agent is sort of a fascist. <laughs> yeah. Now he looks like Judge Dredd. Beat that into the ground. It was not a good series either. <laughs> no, and it's a terrible look. And his current look in the Christopher uh, in the Christopher Priest story, Christopher Priest, uh, is also terrible. I don't it's think it's an terrible. ugly ass costume. I don't think no, it's, it's great, awful. but I don't it's think it's very terrible. Bad. I don't like it at all. Fair enough. Uh, it's just like, Put him in the regular damn costume. Yeah, just please. put him in the red, it white, works and for black. Captain America. He looks good in it. Yeah, put him in the red, white, and black, and let's go. You know. Yeah. Uh, so you know, those are our recommendations for U.S. agent stories. You should track down, and some you should avoid. We'll put all the links in the show notes, just in time for you to watch the final two episodes of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Issue uh, episode five comes out this Friday, and according to the showrunner, it's the best episode. Well, yet. Wolverine and Mystique are going to show up in this one, according to a lot of sites yes. that I've seen. So. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it. <laughs> That is it for THN 618. And next week, we're going to take Wednesday off so I can spend my wife's birthday with her. But we'll be around for cover to cover, so get yourselves ready. Joe Patrick, until such time, set these kids up with the current question of the week that we're going to be talking about this Saturday. This week's question was submitted by us once again. I, you know what? That makes us the Goocher. We are the Goocher. We are the Goocher. We're <laughs> Gooching ourselves. Oh, we're to we totally gooched ourselves. Oh, we're gooching myself. Ooh, gross. Mm. Uh, we want to talk about your favorite and least favorite artists that have a strong weirdo style. Matt, why don't you kind of flesh that out a little bit? So I'm talking about for those of for those people that did not hear cover to cover last. So we're talking about artists that have a style that you would not typically think of when it comes to comic book art. The Bill Sienkiewicz's of the world, for example. I'm not going to name a bunch more because I don't want to steal any from anyone. But someone with a style you immediately can identify. You saw at some point and went, that is so weird. I have to see what it is. And you either fell in love with or you absolutely hated and you do not understand why people love them. So, right. I would also accept um, artists that you learned to love as you matured as a fan. Yeah. No, I mean, that counts too. Just, you know, one that you love one that you hate or either or 
Let's do it. It's your show. Yeah. Whatever you, however you want to do it. Please, please, please uh, keep your question of the week suggestions coming. I swear we'll get back to them at some point. It's just that we have had a lot of good ideas or fun ideas uh, the last few weeks. If you want to wrap up about this week's episode or any of the weekly nerd news we're following, hit us up on our live call-in show. We call it THN Cover to Cover. And it happens every Saturday at 11 a.m. Central Time, hosted on our Facebook page. You can call us at 402-819-4894 or join our Zoom chat live by clicking on the link that we post in the Facebook video chat. If you can't be there live or you want to submit anything for a show segment like Comic Pushers, Ask a Nerd, all that stuff, whatever, yeah. send an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com or leave a message at the hotline. We'll make you internet famous. That's a guarantee. Just look at Aaron Myers. Everybody knows who that guy is. That's right. It's crazy. Everybody. He gets more retweets than we do all of a sudden. And now he's too famous to hang out with. I know. If you're new to this show and you would rather a fake Captain America ties you to the wall and blows you up after you had partnered with him than listen to any more, and that's just rude, let's be honest, I assure you, it's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive at twitternerd.com, but hosting that many episodes, it ain't cheap. So we want to thank hard-working donors like Mr. John Bunger, friend of the show, and dude I play D&D with. I assume he's not just paying to be friends because that was a separate charge that was supposed to be on the side. That's not supposed to be the Yeah, you know, it shows up discreetly on yeah. your credit card statement, yeah. like a subscription to <laughs> exactly. a, uh, Suicide Girls yeah. or whatever. But like when you buy a sex toy or something. <laughs> yeah, oh, right, yeah. right. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Joy Hummel, the first female ever hired to write Wonder Woman, who passed away this week at the ripe old age of 97. Ms. Hummel... She's not exactly a household name among comic fans, but that's because she wrote under a male pen name at the time. But she wrote Wonder Woman for three years long before anyone was publicly credited on the series. And it was during a time that that book was selling in the millions. So she has written... uh, More people have read Joy Hummel's Wonder Woman stories than any Wonder Woman writer on Earth. Crazy. Put that in your pipe Crazy. and smoke it. I don't know if that's an accurate stat, but I'm going with it. Yeah, sure. It is now. What do you, what it do is you now. say about that history? <laughs> uh, happily, she did gain some recognition after an interview in 2014 and was later given the Bill Finger Award in 2018, which is an honor given at the Eisners to overlooked or underappreciated comic writers, just like Bill Finger, there you go. co-creator of Batman. Word to you, Ms. Hummel, rest in peace, and thank you for helping build our modern mythology. Really sorry about the sex toys joke right before we mentioned it. Ah, you know, if you're on the show, you know what you're getting into, right? She Until said, Matt, next she has time, no idea. True Believers! Remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer. Might just make some really off-color jokes, followed by some nice things that he would say about you. This is the Two-Headed Nerd. 